We've staked all eternity on the truth of God's Word. He said, sanctify them through thy Word. Thy Word is truth. Thank God for the truth of His Word. If you've got your Bibles today, I want you to turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll be turning here for several more weeks. We're in chapter 5. I entitled this, Watch Your Worship, Watch Your Words, and Your Wallet. Those are things you've got to be watching out for. And Solomon's going to tell us why here in chapter 5, verses 1 through 17. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. And be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. Circle that one. For they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth. And let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business. And a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is he that better is it that thou shouldest not vow, man, that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was an, <coughs> an error. Wherefore, should God be angry at, the vo- at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words there are also divers vanities, but fear thou God. If thou seest the oppression of the poor and violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province, marvel not at the matter, for he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be higher than they. Moreover, the prophet of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? The sleep of the laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much. But the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely, riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth the son, and there is nothing in his hand. And he came forth of his mother's womb naked, shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing out of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a sore evil, that in all points as he come, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. Watch your worship, watch your words, and watch your wallet. Now parenting is not an easy job. It's not only physically draining, but it can be difficult because they say kids ask about a hundred so questions a day, and you have to come up with an answer. And sometimes you don't feel like dealing with all the things they're wondering about, so you give them an answer, and we speak words a lot of times that are not necessarily true, but at least gets us through that moment. Let me give you, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. 
If you've said any of these things or something similar to your children, just say yes. Uh, and we'll pray for you and pray for me because I've said them too. <laughs> you need to wait 30 minutes after eating before you go back in swimming or you'll get cramps and can drown. If you swallow your gum, your body can't digest it and it stays in your stomach for many years. <laughs> if you cross your eyes, they can stick like that. If you touch a frog, you'll get warts. If you swallow a watermelon seed, a watermelon will grow in your stomach. <laughs> this car won't start until everybody has their seat belts on. <laughs> the first one to sleep wins the sleeping contest. And on and on. I don't condone lying or anything like that, but sometimes we'll say whatever we have to, even though it may not be completely true, just to get through a sticky moment. Well, a lot of times kids grow up and don't know the difference until they get in their 30s or 40s that what mom and daddy was telling them wasn't necessarily true. Uh, but that's the way it is. We have a lot of warnings in this life. Uh, you got signs in the yard, some say no trespassing, trying to warn people, or just keep off the grass. We have warnings, uh, most, most people here probably have a smoke alarm in your house to warn you in case something goes on while you're asleep or don't know about it, fire or something. We have warning signs we have to know if we're going to pass our driver's license. I was watching a girl, I was at the license place uh, Thursday or Friday, and she was trying to get her license. Uh, we put warning labels on medicine. Of course, what they warn you about a lot of times is worse than the disease you're trying to fight, usually. But I, was, I saw something the other day of think directions people are supposed to have, how to take medicine and so forth, and I thought, boy, this is scary. Let me just show you some examples. Every night before food, once daily, to be taken four times a day, three times a day, every three times daily, take one, take two, take three, one or two. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know what that person did with those directions. Let's look at another one. Take one tablet by mouth into the right eye. <laughs> That's scary. Uh, shake well and inhale two puffs in each ear four times daily <laughs> for seven days. Uh, <clears throat> do not take this drug, you become pregnant. Uh, I definitely don't want to take that one. Uh, take one capsule by mouth nightly three hours before dead. Uh, <laughs> I know that meant bed, but I, that would be scary. I don't think I'd be able to take, take that one. Uh, sometimes your words uh, are not always accurate and not straight. Jesus gave a lot of warnings. Usually when he gave a warning, it was beware or take heed. And he would warn us about things you better watch out for. He had warned about watch out for false teachers and false prophets and deception. He'd warn about pride and the dangers of pride or procrastination and putting things off. He'd warn about greed and materialism, how it can grab a hold of your life. A lot of warnings. Solomon is going to give us some warnings today in, in chapter 5. And he's going to warn us about some things you've got to be watching out for in worship in your words, and in your walk. So let's look at it today. Let's watch your worship. First of all, let's look at verses 1, 2, and 3. Yeah, I can see that better. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. I always circled that, sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. 
Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by a multitude of words. He's talking about your worship and the sacrifice of fools. In other words, God does not accept all worship. Although we need to be giving God more worship, make sure your worship is something that he will accept. Otherwise, you're being foolish. And a lot of it has to do with your words. Somebody said this one time, we worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. Malachi said you can rob God in tithes and offerings. In other words, you're robbing God when you don't give somebody what they deserve or what really belongs to them. You're robbing them. You can also rob God by not giving him the worship that he certainly deserves. Now, when we're talking about a sacrifice of fools, he's talking about people that make sacrifices in their worship to God, but they're being foolish, and it's not acceptable to God what they're offering him. Ginger said earlier today, Jesus paid the final sacrifice for us. We don't offer animals and grain offerings and guilt offerings and burnt offerings and all these sin offerings and things like they did in the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled the the law. He fulfilled the Old Testament sacrifice. He was the final sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But we still make sacrifices to God. There are many ways you offer worship to God. I'm going to just show you some, some of the sacrifices that are still in play that are acts of worship that we do. One is our body is supposed to be a living sacrifice, it says in Romans uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The people you win to the Lord is a sacrifice, is an offering of worship to God. Look what it says in Romans 15, 16, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. He said, that's my offering up to God, doing what God called me to do, reaching souls for Jesus Christ. Money that you give to poor people that can't pay you back necessarily can be a sacrifice according to Philippians 4, 18. But I have all and abound, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. They sent him an offering, an odor of a sweet smell, and a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Their offering to him, he saw, was a sacrifice that was well-pleasing to God. Uh, Our praise and good works, Hebrews 13, 15, 16. By him, therefore, let us offer up the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, such offerings like that, God is well pleased. The Bible says in, in uh, Psalm 51, 17, a broken heart. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou will not 
despise. That's the sacrifice that's pleasing to God. Prayers that we offer, Psalm 141, 1 and 2. Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me. Give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as an incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Your worship can come in many different forms, many different ways. And we don't want to, uh, we have a, certainly a, uh, a very important, the nature of worship. And I want to talk about the neglect of worship. Solomon goes on to warn these people because their worship was hypocritical. They were coming with a lot of empty words, but he said, you're, you're making sacrifices, you're being foolish. Uh, we talked about on Tuesday night, we was talking about worship a lot, and I told them that God does not accept all worship. Malachi, they were trying to offer up sick animals to the Lord, and God said, I don't accept that. Uh, you could give that to your governor. He wouldn't accept it, and I sure wouldn't accept it. So just half-hearted, nonchalant, when you're not thinking about it, you're just going through the motions, that's not acceptable worship to God. He also thinks, he said, if you've got a gift and you come to worship and give it to God, leave it at the altar, come get right with your brother, and then come offer your gift. And if you've got problems with one another, your sacrifice, your worship is tainted and is not, is not acceptable. Sometimes our worship is man-centered. Sometimes we're just living in disobedience. You've got to deal with things like that or, or it affects your worship. You can become a, a, a fool in your worship. When Saul, when Saul went to fight the Amalekites and he was waiting on Samuel to come and, and give the uh, offering and make the sacrifice and everything to bless the army. He couldn't wait on him, so he went and did it himself. Samuel showed up and rebuked him for that. And he said this, to obey is better than sacrifice. So if you're going to be living in obedience, don't raise your hands praising God if you're, you know you're living in disobedience to God. He said that's just basically what it is. Now, part of our worship is prayer and praise. That's, those are acts of worship also. He said in verse 2, let your words be few. I've always struggled with that because I always thought my prayer words were too few. I, I remember we used to study E.M. Bounds in our men's prayer, and uh, we did that for years, and I would feel like my prayer life was worthless because he would, he would mention men in there that prayed two to four hours a day. And they'd get up at two or three in the morning and pray for three or four hours. And I tried it. <laughs> I couldn't keep it going. Uh, I'd go to sleep. I, uh, I just couldn't do it. And I thought, wow, what a, what a sorry prayer warrior you are compared to these great men. And so I thought, man, I just uh, I felt very condemned and, and very low. So he's saying it's not how many words you say. It's what your words mean. It has to be from your heart. If it's not done in faith, it's not done in pure heart. Because uh, Jesus said, some people draw nigh to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So it's not the words, it's not how much you say. It's better to have few words with a pure heart than many words and a heart that's not right with God. And that's what he's saying. Make sure... Uh, your worship is true and genuine and sincere and it's not hypocritical. God needs your worship. He wants your worship. Somebody said this about public praying. When you pray in public, the first three minutes, everybody's praying with you. The next three minutes, they're praying for you. In the final three minutes, they're praying against you. Uh, so anyway, be careful. Don't, don't let it just be from many words. Let me talk to you for just a moment about the need to worship, then we'll go to the next one. 
I read this this week. There were, they were going through the NFL draft. They were drafting college football players to different pro teams, and that was going on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And I watched a little bit of that. And I read this this week, how people worship football, pro football. Now, I don't even hardly watch pro football anymore. I, I like college football, but uh, I'm not crazy about pro football anymore. But anyway, it said this. In New Orleans, the New Orleans Saints... The metro city of New Orleans, when the Saints are playing on a Sunday, 45% of the people in that city are watching the Saints on TV. Man, that's a lot of people. The top 15 shows that are watched or streamed last year were all football games. Advertisers spend more money on football commercials than any other throughout the week. On Sunday, during the season, a day like today, more than 1.9 million people will be attending games. He said this, this article said, the Dallas Cowboys Stadium cost a few years ago when they built it $1.5 billion. Seats 90,000 people. The attendance rate is 105%. If they make the playoffs, the attendance is 113%. He said even bad pro teams sell out their games, by and large. Most people come to the game one, two, three, four, five, six hours before the game starts to tailgate and to enjoy the experience. They fight the traffic. They get there. They're going to spend time. They got their jerseys on. They got their bumpers, on, stickers on their car and flags waving and, and doing chants and cheering and eating and drinking and just celebrating the fellowship with the other people. That's just part of it. They're not ashamed to be associated with their team. They brave the weather. They don't stay home if it's going to be cold or look like it's going to be rainy. They still come. They sit in a very uncomfortable seat and holler and cheer the whole game. Stay till the end of the game unless it's just completely a blowout. And on the way home, they're listening to the radio, the post game, to what they just watched. And then the next two or three days they're watching on TV how everybody else saw their game. And then by about the middle of the week, they're thinking about the next game. Now, you may know where I'm going with this. I'm not just preaching to the choir. I'm preaching to the preacher. Uh, you can look around today. It's not a sellout here today. We've got some seats still available. Most people don't come here hour, two or three or four hours early to fellowship with other people and to enjoy the day. Some people get here late and leave early. A lot of people don't get too excited. They don't uh, cheer the songs or, or they're not involved too much in worship. Uh, a lot of them slip out. When they slip out, they're not thinking about what they just experienced. They're thinking about lunch. They're thinking about what's going to do at uh, work Monday and on and on. And they don't think about the next service till about 8 o'clock on Sunday morning. We've got to go to church again. There's something different about the worship that people give. And let me say this. People give worship, pretty much, to a bunch of grown men. A lot of them are spoiled. Most of them make way too much money. Most of them are not very moral. They're not real good husbands or whatever or whatever. And give a lot of worship and praise to them and don't care what anybody else thinks. And I'm here to tell you, the one that gave his life for us the one who gave eternal life to us, give us hope, gives us a peace that passes understanding, gives us blessing after blessing. He deserves the worship. If anybody's going to get worship, 
He needs to be worshipped on a day like today. Uh, so Solomon says, watch out your worship. It can get off track if you're not careful. Then he says, watch your words. Your words have a big part in verses 4 through 7. We'll read that in a moment. Let me tell you about the power of words. Now, in this situation, he's talking about vows. He's talking about vows that you make to God and promises you make to God. Uh, Monday morning, last week, I, I told some of y'all I was going to court. I had to go to jury duty. And so Monday morning, I'm supposed to be there at 8.30. I got there about 8.15. First person I see is Bobby Barber sitting on the back row. And I sat down there by Bar- Bobby. Looked up a little bit later. God's come walking. My brother-in-law, he come. Well, he sat on the back row with us. And then Wayne Poe, Billy's son, Pam and Greg's son-in-law, he come and sat down. We're, we had the back row pretty covered. We had jury duty or online for jury duty. Well, the judge, here we are at 830. He wasn't there by 9 or she wasn't there by 930. Got there about 10. I was wanting to hold the judge in contempt of court, but I don't think you could. Uh, and so we sat there. Finally, they came in and they asked everybody to stand up and make a pledge or a vow. Do you swear or do you affirm that you're going to do such and such if you're called upon to be a juror and all this kind of stuff? Bobby said he had his fingers crossed. So his, his vow didn't work. Anyway, uh, we were making a vow that we were going to do this in court this past Monday. Well, vows, that's what he's talking about here. Be careful the vows you make to God. The, there's about 30 vows mentioned in the Bible. Most of them is in Leviticus and Numbers. Uh, in Psalm 119, you might not see these as vows, but Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the book. But I want to show you a bunch of vows the psalmist is saying he's, going to, he's making for God, what he will do. Now watch. He said, I will praise thee with uprightness of heart when I have, shall have learned the righteous judgments. I will keep thy statutes, so forsake me not utterly. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes, I will not forget thy word. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. I have sworn and I will perform it, that I will keep thy righteous judgments. Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. Uh, so he's making statement after statement to God, this is what I will do. It's kind of making, the Bible's full of promises God makes to us. He's saying, I'm promising you this. This is what I'm saying to you. Now, Psalm 15.4 says this, talks about a righteous man, one of the characteristics of a righteous man, he'll keep his word that he makes even if it hurts him or it costs him. You know, whenever you buy something on credit, you're making a promise to the person. If you give me what I want now, so I can have it now, I will pay you over time to pay for it. In other words, I'm not going to pay for it and then receive it. I'm going to ask you to give it to me, and then I'll promise you I'll pay you over time. It might be over the next two years, maybe over 30 years, whatever it is. But you're making that pledge. I didn't know people didn't keep that promise. I was very ignorant. I thought... People felt like if they make that promise they're going to pay you, they will pay you. No, 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 no. No, uh-uh. I, I've had people tell me, uh, I learned this lesson the hard way. 
If I didn't make any money like I thought I was going to make, then I don't owe it to you. Because it didn't, my job didn't come through the way I thought it was, so sorry, you don't get yours. Really? Or why would I want to pay you when I've got other problems? I need to take care of my problems before I put your problems out there. I didn't think like that. I always thought if I, if I promised to pay somebody, say, just say it was $10,000 I need to pay you by the end of the year, and I didn't do it, I said, I would think, well, now I've got to make some sacrifice. I'm going to have to sell my truck and drive something else because I've got to get the money to pay him. They don't think like that. I ain't giving up my new truck to pay you. You just have to wait if it's five years, ten years, twenty, whatever, or maybe never. People make promises every day and they don't think nothing about it because they don't have any character or integrity. They don't think anything about not paying their promises, their vows, or whatever it may be. Uh, so you've got to be very careful. Here's the problem with vows. Are we even supposed to make vows to God? Yes, I don't think there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, really, I don't. Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Let's read this. This is where a lot of people get this. Again, you've heard that it has been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but thou shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it's God's throne, nor by the earth, for it's his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, or yes, yes, or no, no. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. So a lot of people read here Jesus, and that's in the Sermon on the Mount. He's given that declaration. They say, so we're not supposed to make vows or promises to God, period. That's not what it's saying uh, completely there. Let me tell you what it's saying. They made two types of vows. Sometimes they would make a vow or a promise and use God in it. God is my witness. I'm telling you this. They'd make promises to people. God is my witness. Or if I'm lying, may God strike me dead right now. You know, they'll say things like that. And they think when they say that, that shows the other person how serious they are, how sincere they are, and how much they mean what they're saying because they're getting God in on it. And God's backing them up. And sometimes they would give vows and they'd say, I swear uh, by Jerusalem or by the earth or by this or that. Those were not taken as seriously. And you, that was like a loophole. You'd get out of those because uh, you didn't use God's name. And so that's what they were doing. And Jesus is addressing both of it. And he says, he's not saying it's wrong to make promises. He said, but if you are a person of character, your word should be your word. Yes, yes, no, no. You don't have to bring God in the equation and, and try to build up yourself uh, by using God in some way. So anyway, a lot of times that, that they would use that as a loophole to get out of keeping their word, keeping their promise, keeping their vow. Now, the Bible says tons of promises that God gives us. We're talking now about the promises you make to God or make to other people. Keep them, he said. Uh, let your word be true. You know, a lot of people... One of the main reasons people don't get married but they shack up, I, I believe, is because two or three reasons. One, if it doesn't work out, they don't want to get involved with money, having to lose some money or whatever, the other person getting half of it. 
they're not sure they really want this is going to be a long-term relationship, and so they don't want to get married and make all official and then get a divorce and all that. And, uh, you know, and they never know somebody else better may come along, and they don't want to be tied down to this one. We're look, we got loopholes in everything we do. We're looking for a way out of that. And uh, that's, that's kind of what they were doing with their, their vows and their promises. They were looking for loopholes. They did not have to stay by what they said, and that's, that's not good. Okay, so he says, watch your worship, watch the words you say. Now he's going to say, watch your wallet. Now verses 8 through 17, he's going to deal with that. Let's look at verse 8 and 9. We'll take a little bit of time. Verse 8 and 9 says, If thou seest the oppression of the poor and violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province, marvel not at the matter. For he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be higher than they. Moreover, the prophet of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. Now, he's talking about being robbed by others of your wealth and your money and so forth. He's talking about, in this situation, he's talking about the government. Talking about those in authority over you that, that can take from you. Now, Solomon was a king and he was oppressive too. But anyway, how does the government rob people? Well, two different ways. One is inflation is really robbing people. When your money doesn't go as far anymore, you, it's worth a lot less and less and less. That's money they've basically silently stolen in some way from you. Uh, inflation is a decline of the purchasing power of the currency over a given time. Uh, one, I've always heard this. I don't know if it's folklore or if there's any truth to it. George Washington threw the dollar across the Potomac River. Anybody heard that? Yeah, some of you have. Anyway, their boy took his daddy. They were over there at Potomac. He asked his daddy, he said, Daddy, my teacher said that George Washington could throw a dollar across the Potomac River. Here's a silver dollar. I'm going to see if you can do it. His dad took it and threw it, and it went about a third of the way and fell in the water. His son laughed at father and said, Dad, you can't throw uh, nothing as far as George Washington. He threw it all the way across. And he said, yeah, but the dollar doesn't go as far as it did in George Washington's day. I can tell you that. Uh, anyway, our dollar uh, inflation, it robs from people. The dollar since 1971, when it was taken off the gold standard, has lost something like 86%. Something you bought in 71 for 15 cents would cost a dollar today. I didn't realize this till I looked into this a little further. One of the reasons for inflation is we got too much money. They printed so much money and so many billions of dollars. Of all the dollars in circulation today, over 20% of them were just printed in 2020. They're just pumping money and, and so forth. It's, anyway, that's one way you can be stolen from those in authority over. The other way is taxation. I won't go into all the different ways you can... We lose money in taxes and things like that. But you can be robbed by others. But he talks about, in verses 10 through 17, being rob robbing yourself. You've got to be careful. He said, don't rob yourself. I told you, Malachi said, you can rob God in tithes and offerings. Well, we can not only rob God, we rob ourselves. The Bible never tries to prove that God, there is a God. It just starts with Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. But the only time I, I can really think of in the Bible where God says, I'll give you a chance to prove me, is in tithes and offerings. He says, prove me and see if I won't open the windows of heaven and so forth and pour out blessings. So 
That's very important. He says, I will rebuke the devourer. That was an agricultural society. And what they did, they had to give their first of their fruit, the first fruits to the Lord, their tithes, and then wait on the rest and trust God with the difference. It was an act of faith as well as obedience. Because if you're a farmer, you know you've got to battle against the weather. You've got to battle against weeds. You've got to battle against disease. You've got to battle against pests, pestilence, and so forth. You've got a lot of things that can take away your crop, your livelihood. And when you give the top off first to God, you're saying, God, I'm trusting you with the difference. And that's, that's, what, that's what it was all about. He said, prove me and see if I won't. One man complained to his pastor, I don't pay tithes. He said, uh, because I'm on a fixed income. He said, you are? You're only 40 years old. He said, yeah, but I have to fix the water heater. I have to fix my kid's teeth. I have to fix this. I have to fix that. Well, and I've heard of, I've heard of a pastor, I think he was in South Carolina, that challenged his people. He said, pay your tithes. If you're not a tithe payer, pay tithes for six months. And if you don't have more by being obedient to God, I will pay the difference. He had a bunch of people sign up. He, he got thinking about that a little bit. He said, that's a shame y'all trust me more than you trust God. Uh, anyway, but it, it's, it's scary. The, you say, why, do you talk, why would you even talk about money in church? Wait, wait a minute. There's a pastor named Ed Rao uh, up in Chicago. He hurt his knee, and so he had an operation. He had to go to a physical therapy to get his, work his knee back out. And uh, there was a guy in his church that was a physical therapist. And, he, and his, when he went to him, he, he said, Pastor, I'll tell you one thing. My biggest fear I don't want to do is hurt people. I, I have a fear of hurting people. He said, so I just want you to know that. Anyway, he said, he put me through so many exercises, I was crying tears. I said, I'm thankful that you've gotten over that burden of, of fear. You don't have that fear anymore because you've about killed me. Anyway, I don't have any fear about talking about money. Because the Bible talks so much about it. But I'm going to give you four things that Solomon says you've got to watch out when it comes to your wallet. Watch out because wealth cannot bring satisfaction. Look at verse 10. He that loves silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loves abundance with increase. This is also vanity. Some people look at wealth like it was a God tool. It gives them joy. It gives them peace. It gives them uh, work. Uh, you know, security and all these kind of things. Let me tell you something. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. All the money in the world will not satisfy you. I can tell you that. He said in Luke, Jesus said in Luke twelve fifteen, a man's life does not consist of the abundance of things that he possesses. So all the things in the world does not make you or break you or anything. It's not going to bring lasting satisfaction. Only Jesus can do that. Number two, he says, wealth cannot solve all your problems. Look at verse 11. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? All right. Money can do a lot of things. It cannot solve all your problems. I like what Red Button said one time. The old comedian or actor, he was, watching, he was telling a friend of his, he says, I was watching TV, and they come up with a commercial, and they said, if you'll send $20... You can feed a starving child in India. $20 for a, will feed a child for a month in India. And his friend said, 
So did you do that? You send twenty dollars to him? He said, "No, I'm sending my kids over there. I can fe- I can take care of them a lot better <laughs> over in India than I can over here." Well, money, money can buy a lot of things. It can buy you a house. It can't buy you a home. It can buy you medicine. It cannot buy you health. Money is not going to be the answer to all your problems. If you want to really do a good study, look at the people in the New Testament that were givers that didn't have anything. Look at the widow woman. Jesus watched them put in their offerings. He watched her put in her might. And he said she'd give more than everybody else. Because widows in those days were barely surviving themselves. It didn't, didn't slow her down. Money didn't have a hold of her. Look at Mary in the alabaster box. She come in and breaks this, thing, this uh, box and, and puts all the perfume, anoints Jesus and everything. And Judas got all upset. Man, that was about a year's worth of money. Can you imagine giving a gift like that? Whatever your salary is for your giving that to the Lord. She did that. Jesus took note. You cannot waste anything that you put in the hands of the Lord. Look at the Macedonian believers. Paul's writing to them. There were some people, there were some saints that were suffering in Judea, and the church at Macedonia, some of those in Corinth and all, they wanted to help them out. And in 2 Corinthians 8 4, here's what it says. They urgently, this is what Paul said, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They're begging Paul, let us give to these people. Nowadays, most preachers are begging the people, give to me. These people are begging the preacher, let us give to this cause. Here's the third thing. Wealth cannot bring peace of mind. Verse 12. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. What he's saying basically uh, when you didn't have a whole lot, but you work hard, you can sleep a lot better than somebody that's got a lot of money. Uh, and money has them. Joe Lewis, the heavyweight boxing champ years ago, said this, I don't like money, actually, but it quiets my nerves. <laughs> Solomon said, the common laborer sleeps better than the rich man. So a lot of people think the more you've got, the more, uh, more peace you have, more peace of mind. He said, this is the opposite of that. The more you've got, the more you think about the things that can take what you've got. The more you think about this and that and all the things that can go wrong. Somebody asked uh, Charles Spurgeon one time. It was a man who had a church of about 100, and Charles Spurgeon had thousands in his church. He said, man, I'd love to have thousands in my church like you've got. He said, be careful. Be thankful for the hundred you've got. That's going to be a lot to have to give an account to, to God one day. Too much is given. Much is going to be required. Uh, so wealth does not bring peace of mind. Wealth cannot provide security. If you think money is going to be the answer to your security needs. There's a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing out of his labor which he may carry away, I mean, carry away in his hand. And this also is a sore evil, that in all points, as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? All his days also he eateth in darkness, and hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. He says, money and wealth is not the answer to security that you want. You remember the story of the rich fool that had a lot of money and tore down barns, going to be a builder, big 
build bigger barns. He said, now I'm going to sit back and take, e- take ease. I finally got security. I've, he said, thou fool, tonight your soul's going to be required of you. He, didn't, he hadn't, didn't have security of a relationship with the Lord. So he's listing a lot of things that can take your wealth. You can hoard it, you can waste it, you can misuse it, and all this kind of stuff. And he said, don't have nothing to give to your kids because it can be taken from you in many different ways. There's a lot of different types of people in the world. I'm going to start winding down just a little. Uh, when you talk about money and you're talking about somebody's wallet, there are misers. A miser is somebody that doesn't give. It's all about holding on to what they've got because they live in fear and insecurity. It controls their life. They're eat up with fear, so they ain't turning loose of nothing because they may not have it. Second type of person is a stingy person. They give cheaply. They give leftovers. They give their uh, shirts and pants that are ripped and got holes in them, stains on them that they wouldn't ever wear again. They give that to the missions. Something that they don't want or can't use, that's a stingy person. A selfish person, they give in order to get. They will only give if they're going to get back more than what they're given. And so if the deal's not better on their end, they, it ain't no deal as far as they're concerned. That's the self-centered person. The average person, this is the way most people fall in line, they give from their abundance. If they've got more than they can eat, they're going to share some with you. If they've got more than they need, they'll, they'll give off the top. Out of their abundance, they give. That's the way the average giver is. And then their sacrificial giving, uh, they give and sacrifice of themselves so somebody else can have something. Wow. John Wesley went before a rancher one time, and the rancher was showing him all the money he had and all the land he had, and he just rode him all over his property and said, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine, all that. After about an hour of that, John Wesley told the man, you're going to have a hard time leaving all this behind. It had him. It's not how much wealth and money you have. It's how much does money and wealth have you. And that's really what he's talking about here. So Solomon gives out three warnings. Watch your worship. You can get sidetracked. Watch your words, your vows, what you say. Follow up on them. And watch your wallet. Your wallet can be a big hindrance. It can be a big pain in your side if you're not careful. My question is, how do you handle warnings in life? I always think back of the story of the man that was celebrating his 50th wedding anniversary. And uh, his buddy come up to him and said, how did y'all make it for 50 years? He says, because we don't argue. He said, you're telling me 50 years and y'all don't argue? He said, no, we don't argue about nothing. He said, I just can't believe that. He said, well, it's true. When we got married, we went on our honeymoon to the Grand Canyon. And we took, we was going to ride down to the Grand Canyon with, on a couple of mules. And uh, we rented the mules, and we're going down there. And about halfway down, my wife, who was a little quiet, soft-spoken woman, uh, the mule threw her down in the rocks, and she got up and hurt her knees. I said, you okay, honey? And she said, I'm all right. And she told that mule, that's one. He went a little bit farther and threw her off again in the rocks. And he said, you okay, honey? She said, I'm okay. And she told that mule, that's two. She, that mule threw her off a third time. She got up and she didn't say nothing. She just took out a gun and put it in the head. Boom! That was the end of the mule. And the husband, he said, I got so mad. I said, what in the world are you doing? I started cussing at her and fussing. I said, you idiot. 
you idiot, now we're going to have to pay for the mule. We're not going to be able to get back out of here easily and all this kind of stuff. And she said, that's one. And so he said, we ain't never argued since. So a lot of times when somebody warns you, some people heed the warning. And some people don't heed the warning. Uh, tobacco industry, back in 1962, they put a warning label on the cigarette packs. Canada, every, 83% of the people remember what Canada's was. It was different than ours. It was smoking can kill you. But ours was caution. Cigarette smoke, or smoking can be hazardous to your health. Remember that? Only 6% remembered that. The man that came up with that warning was Edward Dehart. He softened the warning on the cigarette packs because he was also a consultant for the tobacco industry. And so the warning was a little bit softer. Here's the rest of the story. Edward Dehart died of lung cancer. His warning didn't even scare him from smoking. Warnings are there to get our attention. When he warns you about worship or your words or your wallet, it's not something we just look over. This is the wisest man in the world that didn't take his own advice always. But he had insight from God when he analyzed what life is all about, what will get you, and what you've got to be careful of. I want you to stand. Let me say this. We've already mentioned about the altars here today. I'm not the type of preacher that begs anybody to do anything. I'm not going to cook a big meal and just beg you to eat it. I'll give it to you. If you don't eat it, I'll let you. I'll say, okay. I don't beg anybody to give their heart to Jesus. I'm going to tell you, and I'm here to warn you, if you don't, it's a terrible life. And it's a terrible eternity. The Bible says Jesus paid it all. If you don't know him, if the Spirit of God's dealing with your heart, Jesus went to the cross to die to have your sins dealt with. And that's the only way to get to heaven. It's not through religion. It's not through good works. It's not through good deeds. It's only through faith, repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. But I'll let you know that's your only way. If you need Jesus, you come and I'll come and I'll tell you about it. But here's my message to the rest of the church. Most of the church falls into one of two extremes. They ain't moving out of their seat for nothing. And some will do anything if the preacher tells them to do it. If he says stand on your head for a few minutes, everybody's going to try to stand on their head. So there's a, there's a big gap between doing nothing and being easily manipulated. What God wants is people that are sensitive to Him and He easily touches their heart and they respond to Him. Not because some preacher's telling them and not because they've made up their mind ain't nobody going to move in for nothing. These altars are always open. We're praying for people to be sensitive to God and say, I need, I need to get something right with God. I need to deal with this in my life. I'm not just going to go home and do this. 
I'm going to ask, God's speaking to me. God's convicting me. God's telling me this. So that's what these altars are for. And we want to conclude every service. You know you have freedom to come down here. If you need prayer, if you want somebody to pray with you, we're going to pray with you. Just because I don't beg you very much, don't think. Because Jesus didn't beg people much either. He never chased after anybody that didn't want what he had to say. He let them go. If your heart's not ready, God can't do much with you. But if your heart's sensitive, the only kind of heart he can work through is a broken heart and a heart that's easily easily pliable in his hands. So if you need prayer anytime, get down here. You don't have, we won't mess with you. We won't scare you. We're not going to think bad thoughts about you. We're going to think there's somebody that's tender to God. Somebody's got a heart that's open. So I want you to pray. If you need Jesus, if you, if you don't know him, if you, you're not ready to meet him and you're not sure where you stand, come down here. We'll pray with you. And if you need prayer, if you want to spend some time alone with the Lord, just come on down there and let God deal with your heart. Heavenly Father, We come right now in the name of Jesus. The worship that men get is much more than you get many times from your own people. I pray, God, that you would open up all our hearts and all our minds. Help us to be sensitive to the Spirit of God, sensitive to the Word of God. We've come here not just for you to see what you're going to do and say. You've come here to see what we're going to do and say. In response to you, I pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Open up the hearts and lives of people that never step out by faith to do anything. Help us to realize this is a place, this is a hospital for the sick. This is a place where healing and love can flow. This is a place where Jesus wants to minister. I pray, Father, in your precious name, before we leave here, God, touch hearts and lives for your glory and honor. Amen. Amen. Tonight we'll have worship and praise. If you need prayer, come pray. You're dismissed otherwise.